Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christ Church. If this is your first time or you're fairly new here, so am I. So we can be fairly new together. Um, my name's Ben. I am the vicar here, and it's great to be with you this morning. Now, I do have to apologise. I have a little bit of a sore throat, which means I already have quite a deep voice, but today I am on the same level as whales. So I'm going to be talking to you and all the whales in the whole world. Um, but bear with me. Hopefully, you'll still be able to hear me. Before I start, let me pray. Father God, uh, even though my voice is a little bit deep and croaky and weak this morning, I pray that we would hear your strong and secure voice. Amen. Life is full of transition points when we move from one phase of life to another phase of life. The first tentative steps we take as toddlers The discovery that you don't actually drown if you go swimming just after you've eaten a meal. The pain of having your first love break your heart. Passing your driving test and feeling like you have the freedom of the world until you realise you can't afford the insurance. (laughs) Admitting to the world that the best evening is actually an evening where you don't see anyone. You get in your pyjamas and you watch TV all evening. The moment that you start to like olives or the moment that you start to like wine. The uncomfortable awareness that even if a football club were to miraculously discover you were an undiscovered world-class football player, you are now too old to sign for them. The first time you find a grey hair. The sense that you have to look after your parents from now on. The sense that others maybe have to start looking after you from now on. Life is full of transitions, some of them big and some of them small. I've recently been going through one of life's transition points. I think it's a transition that many of us might have already been through. And if you're sitting here and you haven't been through this transition point, trust me, at some point you will go through it. When I get into the car and I turn on the radio... Sometimes it's on Radio 1. Unless it's quite late in the evening, I now always turn the radio over to a different station. I'm too old for Radio 1. I find the presenters just a touch annoying. They've got a little bit too much energy for me. The music, for the most part... It's not the music I grew up with. I don't really know, of it, know much of it. Some of it I don't really like. I've reached that transition point. And I'm sure if you haven't reached that point now, you will reach that point at some point. And I often hear myself thinking those dreaded words. In my day, <laughs> it was Chris Moyles and I liked it more. In the old days, bands like Red Hot Chili Peppers would be on the radio. I've reached the Radio 1 transition point. And I'm sad that Radio 1 is not like the good old days. Today, we're continuing our series looking at the book of Haggai. And the passage today starts with a date, the 21st day of the seventh month. In those days... 
they used to have different calendars, but the actual date in our day is October the 17th. And it was actually the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And this festival lasted about a week and it celebrated God freeing his people from slavery, taking them through the desert and protecting them through the desert and then giving them a house in the promised land. And it was symbolised by God's people living in booths or in tents. It was basically a camping for a whole week. And it reminded people that at one point they were homeless, but now they had homes. Now, if we were here for previous weeks looking at the book of Haggai, we'll remember that God is telling the people that it's not right that they live in these nice panelled houses while God's house, the temple, is left in a ruin. This festival where the people have to live in tents for a week reinforces this whole message of the book of Haggai. What takes priority? Your own comfort or worshipping God? The seventh month is also another significant time for God's people. 400 years earlier in the same month, the temple that Solomon built was finished and it was dedicated to God. The temple had taken seven and a half years to build and the plans for the temple were given to the people by God himself. This temple was destroyed by the invading Babylonians 66 years before Haggai spoke to the people. But the ruins of this temple, of Solomon's temple, dedicated to God in this month, are those that lay in front of his people now. And last month we hear in the book of Haggai that they had started to rebuild the temple, but they'd not really got very far. It still just looked like a pile of ruins. And the task of rebuilding it seemed really, really difficult and maybe even impossible. For some people, maybe in their 70s and their 80s, they would remember the former temple before it was destroyed. They would remember how magnificent this temple was. For younger people, maybe they'd heard stories about the splendour and greatness of the past. They would have heard about the good old days. When Israel was free, when the temple was wonderful, when God was truly with them. In the face of the ruins before them, they are asked this question. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? The people were despondent, depressed and disappointed at what was lost. And they were dismissive about what was happening now compared to the good old days. The book of Haggai moves from complacency and apathy in chapter 1 to despondency and depression in chapter 2. From God is not important to the God of the old days, the good old days is gone and can never be reached or matched. I've been around church my whole life. I've been in churches, I've led churches, I've talked about churches. And I think what was said 2,500 years ago could be directly lifted into today's church. Many people today are despondent, depressed and disappointed with the church and dismissive of what is happening now compared to 
the good old days. The question, does it not seem like nothing to you, could be the underlying groan festering in many congregations. A group of people wishing for the good old days to come back again, whenever they were and whatever they looked like. The current state of the church or Christianity or the world or even someone's individual life seems so disappointing compared to the good old days. The past seems so much better than the present and the present seems much less worthwhile if we compare it to the past. And out of this disappointment comes complaints and grumbling and apathy. Complaints about change, grumbling about how things aren't like they were in the good old days, apathy about the present. It's easy to become trapped into judging the present life of the church with past experiences rather than remaining open to the ways in which God is working today. It's easy to become trapped into judging our present walk with God with past experiences rather than remaining open to the ways in which God is walking with us today. And this isn't just an age-related trait. This is not an attack on those of us who are very, very wise. We can just as easily become disappointed with our own church or our own walk with God based off comparing ourselves to others. Other churches or people from the past. Others from maybe different parts of the world. Other stories we hear other lives we see on social media. It's all too common for people today of all ages to think, my faith, my church, God's kingdom, seem like nothing compared to something or someone else. And so why bother? Why try? Why work? Why give? Why pray? Why put any effort in? In response to the Israelites' question, does it not seem like nothing, God tells them four things that still speak to us today. He tells them to be strong. He tells them to work. He tells them that he is with them and his spirit remains among them. And he tells them not to fear. God's response to the people's disillusionment and despondency is to turn their minds from what they think is true of themselves. We cannot match the past. We cannot achieve in the present to what is true of God. I am with you. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. The key to tackling disillusionment and despondency is found here. Stop listening to ourselves And start listening to God and his promises. The Israelites see a temple that was lying in ruins and no chance of a return to the good old days. God offers them his presence and says, that is enough. They lose hope. God says, I am with you. Do not be afraid. They are frustrated and they're grumbling about an uncertain future. God says, my spirit remains among you. I am enough 
for you. In every situation we face, in every disappointment, in every worry, in every decision, in every heartache, in every smile and in every tear, God says, I am with you and I am enough for you. Do not be afraid. In verses four to five, God requires two things from his people, from us. One is unwritten and the other is written. The implicit or unwritten thing God requires of us is faith. God has made promises to his people. He needs them to trust him. God has made promises to us. He needs us to trust him. He wants us to trust that God's presence is enough in church life, in our own lives, in Southport and in God's kingdom. God being with us, God's spirit remaining among us is all we need. As it says in the book of Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? God wants us to believe this, not just to say this, but to actually live life like this might be true. Faith believes that God's view of a situation is truer than a human view. Humans see an unattainable past and a hopeless present. God sees his own presence, his own spirit amongst us, and that anything is possible. It's important that in our disappointments and in our despondency, we must beware, beware of spending more time listening to ourselves than talking to ourselves. Listening to a tale of our hopelessness rather than telling ourselves the tale of God's promises. I wonder where you have been listening to. To yourself rather than God or to God rather than yourself. And I wonder where we as a church have been listening to ourselves rather than to God. Alongside this unwritten requirement to have faith, God tells his people to be strong and to work. The instructions are not, God is with you, so sit around, have a cup of tea and do nothing. God is present and God is active. God is working. So God calls his people to be like him, strong and active. We are to work. The presence and the promises of God are meant to mobilise his people into action. God is with us, so we go, we do, we work. The Spirit of God is not simply a spiritual teddy bear that gives us a hug when we're having a bad day. The Spirit of God gives us the strength to go into the darkest parts of this world and bring the light of God's presence. God's spirit being amongst us is not some form of group therapy. It's a recruitment drive. God recruits us, promises to be with us, inspires us by his spirit and drives us out into our workplaces, our neighbourhoods, into Southport to make disciples of all people, to share our faith with others, to love the unloved. That might sound scary, but God says, I'm with you 
so do not fear. Despondency says, I can't, therefore I won't. Faith says, I can't, but God is with me, so I will. I'm going to let you into a little secret. A lot of church leaders, and probably all church leaders that I respect, have a sense of imposter syndrome. Lots of the time, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what will work and what won't work. Most of the time, we're in the dark about the future. Unfortunately, we don't have a direct line to God. Most of us have ended up here not because we're holier than anyone else or we're better at praying than anyone else. I sometimes have imposter syndrome. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest, I've absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And I'm just hoping it all works out okay. I can't make this church flourish with my clever ideas or pretending to be the second coming of the Apostle Paul. If I listen to myself, the answer is I can't, therefore I won't. I don't like doing things I'm not good at, and so I will avoid doing them at all costs. If I listen to God, if I trust God, if I have faith, I can't, but God is with me, so I will. I'm not a vicar because I'm anything special. I'm a vicar because I'm trying to follow where God is leading me. Faith is trusting that God's promises, God's presence, God's spirit is with us. And that's all we need to go into this world and bring a little piece of heaven down to earth. A little light in the darkness. A little love in the hatred. A little hope in the trauma. A little life in the death. A little faith in the despondency. God calls us to go, to do, to work, not because we can, but because God is with us. I wonder where God is calling you to follow him. Who is God calling you to go to? What are you to do? Where do you need to shed a little light in the darkness of this world? How are you going to help rebuild the temple? How are you going to prioritise your time, your energy and your money? Where is God calling us as a church to work? God says, be strong and do something because I am with you. And so you do not need to be afraid. The passage finishes with a picture and a promise. The picture is of God shaking the heavens and the earth and all the nations. The promise is this. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. The Israelite community was trapped by memories and stories of the good old days. They were discouraged by looking at the present situation and comparing it to the past. So God's encouragement is to tell them that the God of the past is the same God of the present. God is not a relic of the past 
God is here now. This message, therefore, does not relegate God to the past, but produces expectations for God in the present. The same God who accompanied the first community of Israelites through the desert is the same God who accompanies this community. The same God who shook the earth at Sinai before the first community of Israelites is the same God who continues to shake the earth today. God isn't aiming to recreate the past. He's looking to do something new in the present. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. God does not want his people to relive their past. He wants to create a new future. God does not want to return to the good old days. He wants to create good new days. The past is not a prison to trap the church. The past is a springboard to launch the church into new things, to new people, in new ways of being God's family. To let the past shackle the church is to miss the greater things God will do in the present. It is to contain the spirit of God to a time capsule rather than letting him run free amongst us. We do not worship a God who is dead. We worship a God who is alive. We worship a God who died on the cross. And as he died, he shook the heavens and the earth and the temple curtain, which was built in the time of Haggai, was ripped into. We worship a God who says at the end, even Solomon's temple, which you are harking back to, will seem insignificant to what I am going to do. Revelation 21. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Rather than being discouraged and disappointed by the present situation of our lives, our church, and maybe even Christianity in this country, God calls us to dream, to hope, to pray, to watch, to work. Oftentimes, I think we lack the imagination to see a God who looks different from our expectations or experiences. We put God in a box and struggle to see the God which no tomb could ever contain. We lack the imagination to see the God of the present because we are still looking for the God of the past. God is not calling his church or his people back to the past. He is leading us into the future. He echoes these words to us as individuals do not be afraid of the future, because I am with you. Be strong and work. He echoes these words to us as a church. Do not be afraid of the future, because I am with you. Be strong and work. May God forgive us for any of our fixations on the past. And may he give us eyes to see him afresh, the minds to trust him to a new future, the hearts to know him today, and the strength to work for him. <laughs>